and welcome to Setting the Skeen. I'm Ben. I'm Doug. I'm Tristan. I'm Elijah. And I gotta say, second time's the charm. And boys, yeah. this week, I I don't think we watched a good movie. I, I'm inclined to agree with you on that, on that fact, Ben. Well, uh, I'll let uh, Elijah kind of introduce what this movie is before Doug gets into more details. Because he's the one that suggested it to us, so... Um, Elijah, what what did we watch, and why did you make us watch it? Oh. It's uh, it's called August Rush. It came out in two thousand seven. Um, Doug's got the rest of the information, but uh, I suggested it because I think our niche when we're critiquing movies is um, critiquing the movies that a lot of people have seen, but they're not critically acclaimed. Because mm-hmm. uh, you know, when when we talk about the really popular movies, it's like, what can we say that hasn't already been said by millions of people? So uh, I know that a lot of people saw August Rush, but it wasn't like a huge deal. And so uh, that coupled with the fact that it's an odd movie, mm-hmm. it's it's like not quite like most other movies, perhaps for good reason. Um, I just thought it would be interesting to talk about. Uh, I personally have always liked it just because of the music. I'm a musician and music is a big deal to me. So, And everybody I know who actually enjoys this movie is a musician, so... Mm-hmm. It's a little bit like if if you're not really feeling all that sappy stuff they say about the importance of music, then it's just going to be like it's definitely not for everybody. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I remember somebody said they thought Tristan would like it. Tristan, did you like it? You know, I didn't hate it. Uh, it, it 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 was okay. Okay. Um. Yeah. I. Yeah, we'll get into it. I do think it's <laughs> kind of a mixed bag. Yeah. Uh, it before is, you get too sure. into it, uh, Doug, why don't you hit us with the uh, details about this movie? Yeah, I uh, I got you on that. So uh, so August Rush uh, came out in 2007, directed by Kirsten Sheridan. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, and guys, this is a really stacked cast. We have Robin Williams, Terrence Howard, Alex O'Loughlin, who Ben said was like a big name. Uh, Jonathan Reese. I mean, Meyer. I know who he was. I don't know that I would say he's a huge name, but I mean, I know who he is. Yeah, uh, Jonathan Reese Myers, Carrie Russell, Leon Thomas the Third, and our leading man, Mister Freddie Highmore, one of Doug's favorite actors of all time. Yeah, I mean, if if we're just talking about the cast of this movie, I'm gonna level with you. I don't know what it is, but there there are just certain actors. That every time they show up in a movie, it it instantly, it instantly gives me just a bad taste for the movie, uh, and Freddie Highmore is one of them. Like <laughs> the minute I saw he was in this movie, my excitement level just dropped <laughs> drastically. And I mean, I'm sure he's a very nice guy. You know, I've seen The Good Doctor. I've seen Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I'm sure he's a truly pleasant human being but dear lord i despise watching him in (laughs) literally anything so this is a little off topic but i want to ask anyway which actor do you like least freddie highmore daniel day lewis okay (laughs) that that was (laughs) what i was going to ask because i know daniel day lewis is another one of your Actors you love to hate, so I wanted to see which one you hated more. Yeah, because Daniel Day-Lewis, I know why I don't like him, and it's because he's okay. all a gimmick. Freddie Highmore, I genuinely don't know why it is that everything he he uh, works on or everything he acts in, I just despise so much. Daniel Day-Lewis, it's because his whole act is a gimmick, um, but, uh, but yeah. Okay. Are you also a Jeremy Renner hater i can't remember no i like jeremy renner jeremy renner is great a lot of people hate him uh while i while i have your attention i figure i might as well bring up the uh bring up the ratings for this movie um so i said last week that uh ghostbusters had mixed reviews oh what little did i know (laughs) because ladies and gentlemen what we have with august rush is uh rotten tomatoes has it at 37 percent metacritic has it at 38 percent IMDb has it at 7.5 out of 10, and Google, because Google is rating movies now, has it at 93%. So that's definitively mixed. Yeah, IMDb has it at 7.5. That's not bad for IMDb. But compared to the 38 and 37% on Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic, 
That's bad. Yeah. Is yeah. that a Rotten Tomatoes score? Is that the critic score? Yeah, it's the critic score. Okay. Uh, yeah, there seems to be a huge disconnect between critics and fans on this one, which watching the movie, I I get. Yeah. But it's like extreme in this case. Yeah. When uh, when you look at the, uh, so if you look at the critics' consensus. For August Rush on Rotten Tomatoes, what it says is, though featuring a talented cast, August Rush cannot overcome the flimsy direction and schmaltzy plot. Uh, and the audience, excuse me, and the audience score for Rotten Tomatoes uh, <clears throat> is at an 82%. So, yeah, we are all over the place on this. Look, the, the audience, usually usually a sucker. That's why we're here. Uh, well, Elijah, I know that you were the only one of one of us who had seen this movie before. Uh, how exactly did you find out about this movie? Like, how were you introduced to it? I don't remember. I'm pretty sure that I saw it advertised and was interested. I mean, it came out in 2007, mm-hmm. um, and I was a poser guitarist in 2007, so I think <laughs> it probably... And now you're a talented poser guitarist. Oh, thank yeah. you. That's I'm going to change my Twitter bio as soon as this is over. Um, but yeah, I think it appealed to me for that reason. Um, and sure enough, I mean, I've seen this movie a few times, probably like four times. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not, I mean, we'll talk about it more, but it's not because of the plot or, you know, it's not, it's not because of conventional things we look for in a movie that I keep coming back to this movie. Um, honestly, it is mainly the music and not just the music in and of itself, but what they choose to do with music and what they choose to say about music. All right. Well, mm-hmm. let's dive into that. Uh, uh, I, I just have one last point I would like to make, and that is that, uh, so if you look at Rotten Tomatoes, 123 critics reviewed this movie, uh, and it has an average of 37%, I've already said that, whereas 229,000, uh, just audience members have reviewed this movie. Huh. And what did they give it? I mean, it's at an 82%. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Wow, so we've got a 37, a 38, a 75, an 82, and a 93. <laughs> wow. This movie's all over the place. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, it is. I mean, it reflects in what, what I saw. Uh, so. Yeah. Well, I think part of the appeal of this movie is that um, it does some things that no other movies really do. Um, in some ways, you could draw parallels. I mean, La La Land comes to mind. I think maybe La La Land does some similar things in the way it treats music. Um, but uh, yeah, maybe. For the most part, the way that this... That hurts me that you say that, but... Yeah, I, I'm going to get on that. I would not associate this with La La Land. Okay, I am, only, I am only drawing a parallel between the way those movies treat music and the way they regard music. That's a, I haven't seen La La Land, so I can't jump on you or agree with you in this you case. know the sort of like uh, sort of like neo pseudo spiritualist sort of thing about the power of music and the way that it connects people and the way that it uh, brings things up in people that they they didn't even realize that sort of sort of mystic yeah yeah stuff also elijah this movie does things that no other mo- that no other movie has done before dude this is the most like it's it's so formulaic. Okay, but Doug, to you're not the hearing point what... that it's almost that it's almost a parody. Just yeah, no, like he's saying like it doesn't do, or like it does things that other movies don't do with the music. He wasn't talking about the plot, which I will agree with you. It's very formulaic. Yes, and Ben texted me beforehand about how a lot of critics think that this is just kind of a Oliver Twist. Of Oliver but Twist with music. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, I mean, we'll talk about it more, but, like, plot-wise, this is, like, general, like, dollar general Oliver Twist. Like, it's not good. <laughs> um, so, Doug, don't misunderstand me. I'm saying the way this movie regards music and the way it uh, introduces music in some of the scenes, I don't know of another movie that does these things with music. All right, well, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about how this movie does integrate its music? <laughs> Okay, well, um, Doug read uh, a bit of a, some, some criticism earlier. Um, I'm going to read one, too. I didn't look up the source. I'm just looking on the Wikipedia page, as usual. Um, but it says in a review by USA Today, Claudia 
There's your source. Yeah. Commented that (laughs) August Rush will not be for everyone, but it works if you surrender to its lilting and unabashedly sentimental tale of evocative music and visual poetry. That's that's the problem. It wants me to surrender to its whims. I'm not going to surrender to a movie. Yeah, yeah. To that point, I mean, one of the biggest (laughs) things is that it wants you to to completely ignore the fact that the plot is so absurd, so paint-by-numbers, so inconsequential. It wants you to forget yeah. all of that because the music sounds nice. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm sorry that you gotta do more. You gotta do more. Basically, basically I, what you just read there was, don't think about it. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, now, I don't necessarily disagree with everything <laughs> that you just said. It is... Um, it's not a great plot... It's it's cheesy, and we'll talk about it more later. Um, but but um, the thing is, first of all, like we've said before, this movie isn't for everyone, and everybody I know who actually enjoys it is a musician, because and and it's a little bit like like this is a clickish movie. Like if you're watching it and you're really into music, then you're like, yeah, I get it, you know. And otherwise, it's kind of like if you're not focusing on like who's actually playing this guitar and can I find their music on Spotify, you know that type of stuff, then um, then then you're actually focusing on regular movie things and going this isn't that good. <laughs> yeah, y'all can't see this, but uh, when Elijah was saying that, I was staring right at Doug because he made me stop the movie while we were watching it to see if that was actually Freddie Highmore's hands or not. No, and, yeah, and it, they it were wasn't. not. Also, Elijah, sorry to keep taking you a task on this, but dude, there are other there there's one glaring movie I can think of that is equally successful in its integration to just completely diegetic music into the plot of the film and making music the backbone of the entire film and does it while having phenomenal acting, a phenomenal plot and songs and a soundtrack that I can will and okay not today but I use but I do listen to it fairly regularly and that would be Whiplash my friend um okay I the, have not seen Whiplash okay, I know buddy, I need to see it buddy all I'm saying <laughs> is that the minute you see Whiplash you're going to forget about this August Rush stuff <laughs> Because okay. it will Doug, literally smack you on the face with just how incredible it is. Doug, I suspect that you are correct. Whiplash has been high on my two-watch list for a long time. And uh, uh, one of the few people that I know who also likes August Rush is our friend Logan. And he's also hugely fond of Whiplash. And I'm sure he thinks Whiplash is better. But he didn't forget about August Rush. <laughs> I, I wanted to mention also... <clears throat> This, I mean, this ties in pretty directly with the music in the movie. Is that there seems to be, and you mentioned earlier, Elijah, there seems to be some sort of like mystical. I'll call it the gift. I don't know what else to call it, but there's like some sort of aura that that some musicians seem to have in this movie. It's like magic, and. I think his mom has it, and he has it. I don't know if his dad has it. Oh, I think he definitely has it. His mom definitely has it. Robin Williams' character has it. Uh, He's just an evil character. Uh, (laughs) Kind of. Yeah. There's a few other characters that have it, and there's a few that you you think may have it. Um, But not all the musicians have it, you know? It's interesting that that it's like this... I mean, obviously he's gifted, as in he can just pick up an instrument and, and he's immediately a, a pro at it. Um, but it's just this mystical kind of thing that um, that some of them, some people, just seem to be able to hear the music and follow it, and it leads them very vague like that, you know. It's like the force. Yeah. It's like so the what force. y'all are talking about, uh, it actually reminds me of an actually documented uh, medical condition. Uh, that I just looked up. It's called uh, synesthesia. Uh, essentially, what oh. it is is that you can see, like, when music plays, it like produces a color that you can actually see. So I feel yeah. like that, um, like, it, that the movie cool. doesn't explicitly say like that's what's happening, but 
I think that could be a potential explanation. Because, um, uh, like, I've actually known someone who has this condition, and, like, they say, like, with music that they don't like, it produces this color that essentially just, like, makes them want to turn away from it. So, I mean, it could be that, like, uh, when August and his family, like, maybe if they all have it, I'm just spitballing, coming up with a conspiracy theory here. Uh, the music that they play produces this, like, uh, like this uh, color that draws them in, and they're able to follow that. Yeah, I don't man. know how that explains uh, how August was able to hear the music at the orphanage, but well, I think it I think it does explain it, Ben. Um, he actually says in the opening bit of narration that he can hear the music and everything, even light. He he says he can hear it in light, um, and you can't hear light unless you've got some kind of synesthesia going right. on. So I think you're onto something, Ben, and I think that's pretty relevant um, to. To the discussion of why this why this movie has any value at all mm-hmm. in that okay so the the um bit of positive criticism that i read for you guys earlier um says you you kind of need to surrender to its evocative music and it's uh what was the other thing uh, uh, visual poetry and when i think back about this movie i often think of visual poetry there are a lot of scenes that feel more like visual poetry than a conventional film and uh, that's part of why I like this movie. Um, and it's mixed so well with the music. You know, strangely enough, you're making me think of La La Land again. <laughs> Sorry, I hate to... I love La La Land, but... Okay, and also... La La Land it... also like does this visual poetry kind of thing with music, too. Yeah, and I'm not saying that this movie is as good as La La Land, but I'm saying it does a similar thing with uh, the way it talks about music and the importance and value of music. Yeah. Um, so the opening bit is one of those bits in this movie that feels a lot like visual poetry. Um, and it, there are a lot of those scenes where you kind of, like August just looks at the electrical lines just like uh, blowing in the wind, and he hears a kind of music in that. Mm-hmm. Like there's all these scenes where he he, he hears music in the darndest of places, and, so I and, remember, like, when he first gets into the city and, like, goes around to, like, all the different things going around and, like, comes together to form, like, one whole melody. It was really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and he's trying to conduct an orchestra from the beginning. The first scene, you see him just standing in a field. The only sound is the wind in the grass, and he's trying to conduct it like it's an orchestra. So he's driven to do the things he ends up doing from the beginning. Um, and you can see the way that music has a hold on him from the beginning. And uh, the way that that is depicted is magical. And that's kind of the crux of this movie. It's not just about music. It's about music as magic. And that's the magic that drives the movie. And in that opening montage, um, freaking August Rush, his real name's Evan. Evan says, um, I believe in music the way some people believe in fairy tales. And that may be the most important line in the movie. If you want to watch this movie and actually enjoy it, you have to hear that line and internalize it and recognize that what you're about to watch is a cheesy fairy tale about music. That's just what it is. Hey guys, what's up? It's your old pal Ben, and I'm here to give you a few announcements. Now first, I just want to thank each and every one of you for taking some time out of your day to listen to this podcast. Uh, It really means the world to us that you would just show your support in any way that you can. Now, uh, I've got a few things to go through with y'all, so just bear with me for a second. Uh, First thing I want to talk about is our Patreon. Uh, On our Patreon, we have all sorts of cool stuff. We've got early access episodes, we've got bonus content, we've got posts, we've got all sorts of cool stuff, and you can get all of it. You can see everything. You can pretty much know every single thing about us, which is a little frightening, but you should still do it. Uh, you can go sign up and see all of this cool stuff on patreon.com slash vitermedia. Again, that is patreon.com slash vitermedia. Now, I wanted to start with this because next week we are going to be launch- or dropping our first bonus episode. Now, we'll have a little bit more information about what that is at the end of this episode, so stay tuned. Now, another great way that you can support us is by getting a sticker or a button from our merch store. We've got Tea with Doug's G buttons and stickers. 
as well as some old Some Jerks buttons. You can check all of that out at vitermedia.com merch. Now, the easiest way for you to show your support is just by sharing us with your friends. Do you have friends who like movies? Friends who like random people talking about movies? Friends who like podcasts? Maybe friends who hate all of it. You should share us. Be like, hey, I know this cool podcast. And then also tell them to follow us on all of our social media accounts at Vider Media. Now, if there is a specific show that you want to support, what you can do, you can go to that show page on whatever platform you're listening on, leave us a rating and review. Now, that's all I've got. Uh, be sure to check out the other Vider Media projects. Uh, we've got Tea with Dig G on Monday nights and The Flea Pit on Fridays. Thank you again for listening. Now, let's get back to the show. I guess my biggest thing is as much as this movie does right with the music and with like the uh, like the artistic poetry like you were talking about this script is hot garbage like it is one of the most formulaic color by numbers scripts I have ever seen I um uh, I uh, I I have a quote that I would like to list <laughs> Um, written it. by uh, Mr. Stephen Holden of uh, the New York Times, uh, who said, <clears throat> To describe August Rush as a piece of shameless hokum doesn't quite do justice to the potentially shock-inducing sugar content of this contemporary fairy tale about a homeless, musically gifted miracle child. Alrighty. That uh, that that sums it up for me. I I'm with Ben. This script is so so very bad. And also, I, I I get a lot of flack from my roommates about this because they they have a conspiracy theory that I just don't like movies with happy endings. I do, but if you're gonna give me a happy ending, don't make it so cloringly sweet that from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie, I know we will. We will still have the same level of object objective positivity that we had at the very beginning of this movie, and we will still feel all warm and good inside because that's wasting my time. You're not doing anything unique with it. You're not doing anything that's going to take me on a journey that's going to make me feel something for these characters. No, all you're going to do is give me a sh- is going to put me in a sugar coma. Uh, from all of your sweetness and nice imagery. And I'm not here for it. I'm not. Well, Doug, neither am I. I hate movies like that. Mm-hmm. Um, did you really feel all that sweet and sugar when he's at the boys' home being, you know, mistreated by the other yes, kids? Yes, because every single time they flash to a shot of him looking out in the grass like, Oh my gosh, life! It's so amazing! I can even <laughs> hear the light! I, I can, if I listen hard enough, I can hear the birds sing like a Disney film, Tweedledee. But no, no, no. You, you yeah, have to, not. It's pretty high, more, so you have to say it like you... Uh, just saw 12 ghosts appear in your room. Yeah, and Freddie uh, Highmore with his freaking giant eyes and his little smile that I'm pretty sure was etched into his skull. <laughs> yes, I felt all of the sugary sweetness. It felt like someone was trying to light a fire in my belly to liquefy my inside until they became like caramel, chewy, and sweet. Wow. Alrighty okay. then. Well, Doug, um, that's a million dollar sentence right there. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah Doug, um, I hear you. I, I don't think it's as big of a problem in this particular movie as you do, but I do hear you. And I've seen other movies that felt that sugary, and I despise that stuff. I'm with you. And other people think I hate a movie with a happy ending sometimes, but I'm totally with you. If it's just a uh, junk food film, you know, where I don't feel like I've earned the happy ending, then I don't care. Honestly, exactly. honestly for me, the big thing, and and the big thing, honestly, like the thing that they focused on the most when they were making this movie is the music and the way music was incorporated in the story. That's what's valuable about this movie. Honestly, that's it. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, there's a few other little good things we could pick out, but really the reason that this movie has any value at all 
is the music, and that's why I don't hate it. But Elijah, if the only thing you have to contribute to the world is good music and good incorporation in, of music into a story, don't make a movie. Make an album that tells a story. <laughs> because that would, A, save me a whole heck of a lot of time, and B, I would still listen to the music that does sound genuinely good. Yeah, um, you can tell a story with an album, for sure. Um, but the the movie definitely shows you the story of a child prodigy really clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea of sort of a retelling of Oliver Twist as a musical of magic, that's kind of creative. I kind of like that. But I also think that they didn't do it justice. But Yeah, honestly, I think the biggest problem is... You know, like obviously, you know that this movie is going to have a happy ending. There's not a point in the movie at which you doubt that. Like mm. throughout the entire yeah. movie, you know, yeah, even though these three characters have never met, they're going to by the end of the movie, and they're all going to live right. happily ever after. And nothing happens in this movie to make you even question that. Yeah, that's part of the this the cookie cutter type of deal we got going on with this movie. I agree. And and here's a here's another big problem that I have with this and the reason that this doesn't work where other movies with child prodigies or heck even Oliver Twist I mean you think about another f- another uh, film that talks about child prodigy and incorporates music I mean you have Amadeus which literally tells the life story the the life of uh, of Mozart all right you 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 walk through that that story and you know in the end you're supposed to sympathize with Mozart and he is the prodigy. He is the chosen one. But you know what? He has flaws. You look at someone like Oliver Twist, yes, you know that in the end... Uh, okay, I'm going to be honest with you. I have not read Oliver Twist, so I'm just going to kind of guess here. Um, you know <laughs> that in the end, everything's going to work out. You know that, like, there is a light at the end of the rainbow, but he has flaws. Even though he's the chosen one, even though you know he winds up on top, he still has flaws. The problem with uh, August Rush, Freddie freaking Highmore here is... He has no flaws. He is perfect. You could shoot him in the leg and he would be like, oh, thank you for that. I I, I needed well, that. That is that, his I, flaw. He's naive. I think that's your problem with Freddie Highmore. He always plays a character that's perfect. Yeah, it, it is. He does have a flaw and it's the same flaw that um, Oliver Twist has. He's naive. <laughs> Doug says, uh, well... I, I don't think... I don't think he's naive. You because, think he knows what's going on the whole time? Because if you're naive, that means you stand to be tricked. You stand to be taken advantage of. Freddie Highmore, August Rush, has such a positive attitude about himself that he he is constantly taken advantage of by uh, Robin Williams' character, and he still goes back to him. He still is that's, like, yeah, yeah, that's Doug. that's what I need in my life. Doug, that's being naive. That's no, what I'm no, saying. No, no, no. If a character tra- if a character has a character trait of naive of being naive, yes, they can be taken advantage of. Yes, they can be they can not see what clearly is standing in their way, but in order for that character trait to pay off in the in the realm of how the story plays out, there has to be a moment where they recognize the fact that oh wait, I was played for a fool and I don't think you get that here. Right, so you're not you're not actually arguing that he's flawless, he just has a flaw that he doesn't overcome and you don't get to see him grow past it. No, because I think at that point I don't think you can qualify it as being naive. I don't think you can qualify that as being a flaw. You can you can take it as he is he is the perfect. He is perfect. That's, I think it's more that, like, uh, looking at his relationship with uh, Robin Williams' character, it's more he's vulnerable than anything. Well, Doug, you just described that Robin Williams' character, they call him the wizard, he takes advantage of August and he uses him and he doesn't care about him and August just keeps coming back to him for a long time. Yeah. That's being naive. Yeah, I understand that. But... What I'm saying is that you can't say that him being naive is a character flaw if there's never a point where he has to be like, 
oh wait, I actually was taken advantage of. Because I don't think you get that in this movie. You, you do get a little payoff when he, he finally decides to leave. Okay, okay, I have to agree with Elijah on this one. I, I think that, I think his problem is that, Doug, you don't, maybe you don't like his demeanor. Because we also see that uh, he almost stands up to the wizard when they're when they're at rehearsal mm-hmm. and um and he's about to he's about to not go with robin williams robin williams is like i have this hook on you and uh and then he ends up going with him i don't think you know i th- i think you you just don't like his demeanor and the way he acts towards things because it's and truthfully it is pretty similar in a lot of the the things he's been in i haven't seen bates motel which is one of the biggest things he's popular for um but everything else he's like the same i'd say uh tristan that scene that you mentioned where uh uh robin williams character uh shows up to the rehearsal to take him back i think that's uh just paints it even clearer that more than anything he's just vulnerable and that's just robin williams character taking advantage of that because like he's essentially been manipulated into thinking that well, if people find out who you really are, they're just going to send you back to the orphanage, which right. is not where you want to go to. Well, I definitely agree that the script and plot of this story are very lacking. Um, I read Oliver Twist when I was in fifth grade. I barely remember it. I looked up the summary today just to refresh my memory, and there's actually a lot that happens. And mm-hmm. um, this is bare bones, to say the least, in terms of a, an adaptation, if indeed that's what it is. It's not a very good plot, I agree. Um, and a lot of the writing is bad, I agree. In my opinion, the the worst... I mean, aside from, like, one child actor at the beginning, when uh, Lila's a teacher at a music school, she's talking to that mm-hmm. little kid, and she's horrible. Um, oh, but yeah. She's we, awful. Yeah, but, you know... I actually expect... kind of like that character, that child actor, but, okay, whatever. Okay, I was, I was actually really ready to talk about how good an actor Freddie Highmore is and how unusual it is to have a child actor who is that uh, compelling and how (laughs) that little girl at the beginning is like so irritating that she's exactly what we expect when there's a child actor. Um, And I was so glad she was only in that one scene. Say what you want to about that one girl and about Freddie Highmore. This movie has two really talented child actors in hope and Arthur. Yeah. Those two kids are freaking amazing. Yeah, and they show the freak out of... They show mm-hmm. up Freddie Highmore like nobody's business. Um, Hope certainly does. I, did, I was not impressed with Arthur either. Um, well then you can go die in a hole, good sir. I'd say for, <laughs> for me with Arthur, it was mostly that first scene where he first meets um, August... Okay. Yeah, I'll say I don't I don't have a problem with his writing, but I thought this was another like typical kid who didn't know how to deliver his lines that well. Um, yeah, that's fair. But the other kid, her name I just looked it up. It's Jemiah Simone Nash, and mm-hmm. she, she played one of the backyardigans. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, she really did sing in this movie. And, yeah, and she was and she really one of the best sing. singers in the entire movie. Absolutely, she's a baller. Um, and yeah, I it was it actually up. really funny. Uh, Doug and I were watching this uh, right before we started. In the scene where, like, they're at the church and they're singing, uh, they like she did the first solo, and then the other lady came in, and Doug and I just kind of looked at each other, and it's like she's not very good compared to the little girl. <laughs> um, like she was, I mean, she was a good singer, but like. That's a tough act to follow. (laughs) Exactly. And that little girl has had a lot of success in music since then. I was reading about it before we got on here. Um, But I was going to say, speaking of the church, the, I think the most poorly written character by far is that minister. I don't do anything with him. He's so annoying. And legitimately do not do a thing with him. He's just there. And his, his lines are the worst and he delivers them horribly. And I say that like uh, just a tidbit about me because my dad's a minister and I uh, am very conscious of the way that ministers are portrayed in TV and movies and it's always awful. <laughs> and this is one of those where it's like... Um, it's particularly awful. Yeah, he's... he's. I hate when he's on screen. He's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say one person uh, that I loved in this movie, his character freaked me the heck out, but Robin Williams... 
is absolutely amazing. I will say that in just about anything I see him in. Robin yeah. Williams is okay. one of my favorite actors. Robin Williams playing an original character dressed like Billy Ray Cyrus. Yes. <laughs> yes, he showed up on screen, and I paused. It's like, Doug, look, it's Billy Ray Cyrus. Although, to be fair, I said he looked more like Ro- uh, Robert Rodriguez, but, you know. I'd say he had the same little, like, triangle goatee right below his lip and the sideburns when he had the cowboy hat on you know spitting image of billy ray cyrus you know if he had brown hair instead of red hair uh he would i think he would have looked a lot like dave filoni maybe i could see it i really really i don't know what to think about robin williams in this movie i love robin williams don't get me wrong but I don't. I, I. I. My brain says that I shouldn't like it, but I do. I liked him in this movie. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a super unlikable character, but he's he. Well, yeah. Excellently. But the thing is, Robin Williams. I. I don't. Usually, he doesn't play characters like this. Um. Um. Look into his filmography a little bit more. <laughs> you're. You're gonna find some stuff. One hour photo. Oh boy. Yes, but I think what he's trying to say is like when you think of like typical Robin Williams roles, I it, mean, it, if you look more, at his popular, it's closer roles. to the. Per- that's okay. what I meant, uh, Doug. I, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that, I mean that's uh, what I meant. That's what t- Tristan t- meant too. <laughs> think about Robin Williams movies that everyone knows. I mean, they're either comedies or they're he's inspirational in some way. Right. You know, um, so yeah, it's it's just different. It's really different from what we're used to seeing him in, what I'm used to seeing him in. So I was like, oh, I don't know if this is the right fit for him. But by the end of the movie, I was like, okay. Yeah, I definitely think... I mean, he's, he's really good. He, he did it. Yeah, I mean, he did he did the most with that character that could have been done. Absolutely. I kind of wish that they had... I, I don't know. I just wanted to know more about him. Honestly, I thought he was the most interesting character in the whole movie. Yeah. And I just yeah. wanted more about him. Like how what, what he kind of came to be and how he started his little band of Well, what youngsters. was weird is that right when he started doing his... Right when we started to get to know him, started to understand like the whole interworkings of his whole scheme, I mean, he disappears from the movie yeah. for... Yeah. For like so 20 like, minutes. Yep, while well, August goes off to Juilliard, he's just gone. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in the movie's timeline, well, he, I think it's like at least three months. Mm-hmm. Well, something I mean, he didn't know where he went, right? I mean, he he was trying to find him, and he did, finally, and he stormed in on his rehearsal. I mean, um, it, it just felt really abrupt, because it didn't seem like he might come back. I, I don't know. It, it it just felt weird. He he um yeah, his scene at at the theater when he first showed up and in the scene after that when he was talking to August, mm-hmm. um I was like I was thinking I'm going to like this character. Like I mean maybe he's like cuz my my initial thought of this guy was he's he's strict, he's mean. You know, but he's also like caring for these kids, and he's and he's like he, when when he's talking to August up there in his like bedroom, I guess, or office or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and they're like having a hard heart conversation about what music is. I'm like, that's really good. I'm like, that's cool. That was a good conversation, and I felt good about Robin Williams's character. Yeah. And then everything else he did after that told me otherwise. I think yeah. that's what's so compelling about it, because like you do see like. He, he genuinely cares about making this, like making good music. Like you see that, like in the scene where he's at Juilliard, like he says, like you can't teach him music, you can't learn music from a book. Like he has this like almost supernatural belief about music, which is really cool to see. And it is. like it's stuff like that that made me want more of him. It makes music out to be like a character, but right in but, this movie. But does he actually care about the music, or does he just care about the money? Because I would I argue to an that, that he does. Because I would argue he he's just in this for the money. It, I money think he's part of it. Is, I think he's definitely in it for the money. But to say that he doesn't care about the music, I don't. 
I, I just don't buy that. Yeah, he at I least think, did at one point. Yeah, he's like to to compare it again to the Force from Star Wars or magic. We've made those comparisons that that's how music functions in this story. Mm-hmm. Um, Robin Williams' character, the wizard, he's like the wizard who dabbled in the dark arts a little too much in his yeah. magic, and it corrupted him. Or he was tempted by the dark side of the Force a little too much, uh, and he used to be a good, upstanding Jedi. Uh, but now he's complicating the plot. And I think definitely if we had seen more of him and like where he came from, and if that was kind of the central conflict of the story, it would have been more interesting. Yeah. Honestly, give me that movie. Yeah. That would have been Yeah, incredible. he's barely even a villain. That, that's an interesting way. Right. He's complicating the plot. That's what he does. That's, yeah, his, that's what he's the there. Central... I wouldn't even classify it as complicating. He's minorly inconveniencing the plot. He, um, he's, yeah, he's not the central conflict. The central conflict is freaking August Rush trying to find his parents. Right. Which is less compelling than whatever's going on with the wizard. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the issue you run into when you have kind of a, a poorly written story and then you cast a star like Robin Williams and I'm essentially <laughs> gets reduced to a minor role. He did a good job at it, though. He killed it. Absolutely. Yeah, I think you can see why Robin Williams read this script and thought, hmm, I could play this character. I was going to ask Doug to talk about Freddie Highmore. I just hate the fact that he's cast as, like, Jesus and everything he's in. I, I don't like him. I, I don't like his face. I, okay. don't, yeah. I don't like it at all. I've only seen him in two things, and uh, I haven't thought that deep about the kind of role that he plays. I just, the only thing that I've noticed is that he is a believable actor, and when you're casting children, it's difficult to do. Yeah, he's he's average at best, in my opinion. I think he's believable as the perfect person. Uh, so, one last thing I wanted to uh, talk to you guys about. How do y'all feel about the end of this movie? Because for me, it felt really abrupt. Yeah, like, it was. They're playing the concert, uh... Carrie Russell and actor whose name I can't remember the plays the dad. They both walk up conveniently at the same time. They turn, they hold hands, they all make eye contact. Roll credits. Yeah. I think. I think if you. Yeah, there I was think like there no are, falling action here. I think there are yeah. two schools of thought you can look at this from. Okay, you can look at this from. You can look at this from the point of view of. By the end of this movie, all points of conflict need to be resolved. And in that point of thought, then the movie ended when it needed to end. Because all the conflicts resolve, you know you know everything's okay now, we're all good. Uh, we've achieved a new and better status quo. If you look at it from a traditional literary and film story structure of... We have our climax, and then we need to have some resolution in the end. You don't get that, because there is no resolution, because there's not necessarily a climax. I think the closest thing you would get is when he uh, actually runs away from the wizard. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I kind of wish we got some more resolution for the wizard, too. Because like, you see him kind of go sit on the train tracks and start playing his harmonica again, and that's yeah. it. But hey, the problem that's with... resolution. The- I would argue that the problem with the school of thought that I think this movie went with, which is just we need all points of conflict to be resolved, that point of that school of thought somewhat negates any other characters that are in the movie uh, who are not uh-huh. the lead, who are not the protagonist. The wizard, though he's a very inter- entertaining character and we want to see more of him, his 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 contribution to the story can be ended. Because yeah. there's nothing, there's nothing he can do at this point outside of kidnapping uh, Evan or August um, that will change the outcome that we know is going to happen. Yeah, well, yeah. Put. I think you're right, Doug. They do when they get their resolution, they just push the other characters to the side. Another character that I found kind of compelling was uh, Terrence Howard's character. Yep, I wanted to ask y'all about him too. And he, they just. Um, they set him up for you to really like him uh, in the beginning, and then they used him again in the middle, and then we never saw what happened to him, really. I'd say he's just at the end just watching everything unfold because it's the end of the movie, and they're going to end it really quick. So you got to show everybody one more time. Yeah. 
Be like, we didn't forget about him. Here he is. See? Okay, now we're not going to do anything with him. But again, even if you do forget <laughs> about him, it's okay because it's not his story. Similarly, I mean, you don't see, you don't see uh, Carrie Russell's uh, roommate who is with her for the first ba- half of the for film. the first half of the film. Same with uh, same with uh, Lewis's brother, um, mm-hmm. who's the who's the dad. Uh, you don't get. You know that William Sadler, who is Carrie Russell's father, is going to die, but you don't get any resolution from that. You don't get to see her reacting to his death because, at the end of the day, their stories are inconsequential uh, when comparing them to the story of August Rush, to the story of Frey Highmore. Yeah, and you, you see a lot of movies that, have, like, people will say that you know, I wanted more of this character. And it's like, I get it if it's an ensemble movie and you're looking at all these characters and you felt like one of them didn't really have a conclusion or didn't end well. But, I mean, a, a lot of movies generally focus on one or two characters. This one focused on August Rush. Didn't need. I didn't. I didn't need anything more from other characters. Everyone served their purpose. Robin Williams's character, the wizard. He probably didn't learn much from his experience. It's safe to say that he's still doing the same thing he was doing before. Uh, maybe he learned something. I don't, uh, but it's not really important regardless. It's not about him. All right, let's rate this thing. Uh, if this is your first time listening to us, uh, the scale that we use, it is a 1 to 100 scale. You can kind of think of it like a grade scale like you would see in any American school. Other schools, I don't know what kind of scale they use, so I'm just going to go with American. <laughs> Uh, but yes, A100 is a perfect movie. It's an A+. And it's the best thing that has ever been made. It cannot be better. We don't do extra credit here. A1 is an irredeemable pile of turds. It is the worst thing that has ever been made and should just probably be thrown away. And then A, B, C, D, F. You, you, I tr- y'all can figure that part out. I feel pretty good about that. So who wants to go first? I'm just going to say my score. Okay. All right. I'm going to give this movie a 45. Yikes. Dang! <laughs> and if you if you look at it from the way from the way points are distributed, you get twenty points for the movie for the music. You get five points for Carrie Russell. You get five <laughs> points for Terrence Howard. You get fifteen points for Robin Williams. That's it. Okay. Doug, you, alrighty. You did not study for this test, did you? <laughs> Doug. I actually understand. Like like we said, this movie's not for everybody, and I, you explained your 45 pretty thoroughly. I get mm-hmm. it. Um, I'm just going to fall in line with, I'm pretty sure it was IMDb that gave it this score. I'm going to say a 75, which is a C. Um, wow. I recognize that this is not that great of a movie. Um, for me, it all comes down to that line that Evan says at the beginning. He says, mm-hmm. I believe in music the way some people believe in fairy tales. And I latched onto that the first time I saw this movie, and I think you have to. If you're gonna enjoy this movie, you have to recognize that you're watching a fairy tale uh, about music, basically, and the the power, sort of the magic of, of music. And uh, if you love music, then that's magical enough to to uh, you know you can deal with a little cheesiness, maybe a lot of cheesiness. Uh, but I also recognize that if you took the music out, this movie would be worthless. <laughs> so I'm giving yeah. it a C. All right. Uh, well, I'm going to go a little bit lower than you. I'm going to give this movie a 64, which uh, in my mind is a D. I think this movie has a lot of promise between the music, some of the performances, but ultimately just kind of falls flat and is not super interesting. Okay. I cannot believe I'm giving this the highest score. Oh, man. I wow. did not think I would do that. I'm giving this movie a 77. Okay. Um, I, you know, I, I'm giving it the score for pretty much the same reasons that Elijah said. Um, it, they, I mean, while the quotes were cheesy, I, I do love cheesy things. To, to be frank with you, Frank, I know you're out there. Uh, to be <laughs> frank with you, I, I, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm here for some cheese. I mean, I, I like La La Land, and while La La Land is done really well, it's still kind of cheesy. Um, and also, it did make me cry at the end. I'll be honest; I, I did shed 
a couple of tears. Um, yeah. Called that. Um, and, yeah. you know. Called it. It's called easy it. to do. It's easy to get emotional with uh, just with music this good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, music who, will always get me emotional. It will never fail. We didn't even mention who did the music. I think it was Howard Shore and Mark, what's his name? I don't, have a I don't know. Uh, it wasn't listed in the Google they, information. Okay, they were they were pretty big names that did the music, and they did a really good job. Music by Mark Mancina. Now, uh, Ben, I believe it's time to plug those scores into our patented scoreometer. You are absolutely right, Doug. After plugging the scores into our scoreometer, um. <laughs> We get a final score of a 65.25, which is a solid D. So in other words, I'm right. That's fair enough. (laughs) Yeah, Ben is always right. It's true. Uh, But yes, uh, that is August Rush. Uh, Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you like what you heard, follow us on social media at Viter Media. Uh, You can also check out our website, vitermedia.com. And we've got merch, we've got a Patreon. And speaking of Patreon... We are going to be dropping our first bonus episode next week, which will be an expanded episode of what we're talking about next week. Doug, what are we talking about next week? Well, I'm glad you asked, Ben. Uh, Next week, ladies and gentlemen, uh, for our regular listeners on Spotify and on... uh, and on iTunes, you will be able to hear our thoughts on the 2010 smash hit, How to Train Your Dragon. However, if you are a patron on Patreon, I believe if you are uh, second tier and above, you will get... Uh, just the top tier. Just the top oh, tier. just the top tier. Okay, if you are a top tier patron, that's just $10 a month, you will get to hear our thoughts on the entire How to Train Your Dragon trilogy. Um, and... And very exciting news because, ladies and gentlemen, we will be joined uh, by our first guest on uh, se- on setting the skein. Uh, oh, I'm so excited! The host of the Flea Pit, Mr. Michael Ruiz. <laughs> oh, it's gonna be so great! Oh uh, man, I haven't talked movies with Mike on a podcast in too long, so I'm excited. Uh, but yes, be sure to check that out next week. Um, in the meantime, also check out the Flea Pit on Friday and Tea with Doug G on Monday. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, thank you for watching Setting the Skeen. I'm Ben. I'm Doug. I'm Tristan. I'm Elijah. And this has been Setting the Skeen. Y'all have a great week. Setting the Skeen.